Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second guess the ring. At bluenile.com, you can design a one of a kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you find the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. Welcome to Mariella Meets. I'm Mariella Frostrup, and each week I'll be bringing you a selection of the best interviews from our favorite guests. Movers and shakers from the worlds of art and entertainment, politics, business, music, and wider society. Simple Minds, or uh, the two that's left of them, are back with a vengeance with a new record, and later this month, their first tour since COVID, which is why, along with the pleasures of my company, I'm sure, Jim Kerr, the band's frontman, uh, joins me now. Jim, welcome to Times Radio. Delighted to be able to talk to you. I thought, for the sake of disclosure to our listeners, uh, that I should say that I worked with you uh, recording at a remote Welsh uh, farmhouse. I can't believe I'm saying this over 40 years ago uh, as a tape-op on, I think it was Real to Real Cacophony, which was your second album. Uh, and I think it was in 19. 19- 1979 or 1980. Uh, do you remember with any better clarity those days? Mariela, how could I forget? <laughs> and uh, two things, really lovely see you and talk to you. Um, and the other thing I have to say before I forget, because the memory gets a bit foggy, can I mention my favourite um, movie tune? Um, I'm going to go for The Doors, The End, and Oliver Stone's Apocalypse now. How's that for a nice, uplifting choice? That's a really jolly tune. Maybe we'll use it to play (laughs) you out today if you insist on keeping just to that one. After I've just played, you're incredibly sort of upbeat, cheerful, especially for Simple Minds track or or version of An Act of Love. Now, I know I'm going to make you go down memory lane in a bit uh, in more detail, particularly because... An Act of Love is is a song that it was the first track that you played at the first Simple Minds gig ever. You'd been together as a group um, under a different name, uh, but then the first Simple Minds gig ever, that was the first track you played and you just decided to rework it during, uh, during well, basically during isolation, during, during COVID. So tell me how that came about and why that particular track and, and why you chose to open your first show with it. Well, it is quite a story, Mariela. Um... I don't think it was the first song we ever wrote, but it was the first, it would have been in the first three or four songs. And it was definitely a, the first song that we played. Uh, our first ever gig was in 1978, January 1978, a Monday night in what they used to call discotheques. Do you remember they used to call them that, Mariella? I, I um, certainly do, as you well know. <laughs> well, 
you know, so we walked on to the sound of our own feet, um, unknown, completely unknown. And it was always important, it's still important that um, your opening salvo, that's where you really try and win the audience over, especially in Glasgow, because if you, if they weren't interested in the first song, they certainly weren't going to hang around to the last one. So for that first year, Act of Love, um, it was our, it was our, our banner song. It was our, our haka where we challenged the audience to spend time with us. And it, it always worked. Um, it r rallied whatever troops were there. There was usually three men and a dog there. So it rallied the three men and the dog. Um, but lo and behold, as good as we all thought it was a year and a half later, when we came to work on our debut album, um, the band being so prolific and all that stuff, it kind of got shunted to the side. And um, although we always felt we'll go back to it one day. Um, well, here we are 44 years later. Because <laughs> you see, it was always a great Charlie Burchill riff. And we always thought there's something in that. So. Um, some things take a little longer than others to get to, but uh, we released it this year, knowing that we were about to go on tour again. We thought, let's go back to that now and see if we can have something that sort of spans the ages in as much that the set we will play live in this tour will also span the ages. And uh, lo and behold, it, it seems to have worked. Do you have um, a, a sense uh, then of, of what the young Jim Kerr, the Jim Kerr who recorded that song first time around, would make of the Jim Kerr now? Well, you know, I mean, people are, of course, <laughs> 44 years later, I, apart from my grandmother, I didn't even know anyone who was alive for 44 <laughs> years. So uh, um, it, it was my mum, my parents weren't even 44 then. Um, the one thing I can tell you, well, I'm pretty convinced about. I mean, we, we've had a fantastic life um, with this malarkey uh, um, beyond our imagination. When we started off, you know, I'm quite convinced if you'd said to us then, what do you want out of this? I'm quite convinced we would have said, um, we want to be in a great live band. And we want to go around the world, um, taking it around the, the world, and, and, and <laughs> we want to make it as last as long as possible so we don't have to go back to the real world. And um, so far, that's well, we're still working on the great live band thing, but the rest is panned out. So basically, uh, in a way, and I was thinking the other day that you do sound uh, incredibly... Um, I don't know. Is it is it rude to say contented? I mean, you sound very contented with your lot and your life. Obviously, I've listened to a couple of other. Mariella, I, I feel a, I feel a smug warning coming on there. <laughs> don't you? Don't you dare hint at that. But 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 is there is there does it have to be a bad thing to ha for no. life to have worked out? sort of in the way you kind of hoped it would. I mean, in the beginning, the, the, the bunch of guys that I met um, uh, in Rockfield in, in Wales where you were recording, I would say were very much really just on a mission to kind of, uh, whilst being very proud of being Scottish and from Glasgow, also on a mission to get the hell out. Would that be fair? It would be fair, but perhaps not in the sense it wasn't like we in the sense that we knew there was a bigger world out there and why would you not um why would you not 
want to go out and touch that. Why would you not? Well, certainly to me, I feel that. I realise that for some people, the world ends at the bottom of the street, but it was the opposite with me. The world began there. Um, you might also know Mariella, because even before we were in this band, Charlie and I, in the tradition of... Um, you know, Kerouac and all those authors where you hit the road. We were great, great hitchhikers. And uh, we would hitchhike through Britain up and down to see whatever bands we liked then. And then we went into Europe. So we always had this sense of a greater world out there. And in our case, music was our way of um, getting involved with that and getting out. And, and we've, we've been shaped by it as well. There's no doubt about that. Having said that, some people, especially not so much now, because, you know, in the last 20 years, Glasgow's reputation as a fun place and all that is is certainly changed from when we were young, when it was, um, how could I say, slipped on us a much more monochrome existence. Uh, um, but um, we have had and we're having our cake and eating it. We love our hometown, but, you know, it was never going to be enough to keep us there. You mentioned um, you and Charlie were hitchhikers, uh, enthusiastic hitchhikers before the band. And it, it, it just highlights the fact that you have one of the longest surviving uh, friendships, I think, of all time. But certainly, you know, musical unions. Um, and although the band was much bigger in the in the early days, it is now sort of boiled down very much to you and Charlie. And I think I'm right in saying that you met when you were eight years old. Yeah, I mean, I actually remember, which is quite, quite remarkable. I remember the first time I met Charlie, we, we, were, we were both Gorbals families that had moved a couple of miles um, along the road to what was a new housing scheme or a new housing project, housing scheme, whatever it's called. And Charlie's family had moved in uh, a couple of months earlier. They were still actually building the, the scheme. And we, I, my family moved into the tower block and it was a typical thing. And my mum and dad were actually moving the bits of furniture in and they said to, you know, to the get out and play. And into the street I went and uh, as they were still building the place, the place was a building site. There was a huge sand castle, huge cement castle. And Charlie was sitting at the top of the sand castle. I, and, you know, he was a king of the castle. And in some ways... Although I'm looked on as being the front man of Simple Minds, Charlie's really the king of the castle. And did you two instantly hit it off? I mean, did you have a sense of, of, of you know, shared interests? Or, I mean, you know, you, it, it is a very long time to sustain both a, a working relationship and a personal one. I mean, it is remarkable, especially when I tell you now, Mariela, not only did we live in that same street when we are eight years old, but I think you probably know that, um, well, you might know in my case, <laughs> I live in Sicily now. Guess what? So does Charlie. <laughs> uh, um, he lives in the same bloody street. Um, I, I can't, excuse my language. Um, um, so anyway, he's, he's moved in the same street, which is kind of, it's a bit weird, really, but... Um, but what can we say? There we are. We're um, uh, classic double act. And um, uh, people usually, the last two things, people will usually go, um, oh, I suppose it's a bit like a marriage, isn't it? And I go, uh, no, we, we, um, we don't sleep with each other um, yet. And, and uh, 
And I also, well, but we also fight. We fight like we fight like cat and dog, especially when it come, comes to the music. Uh, there's usually one huge blow up every year. The good thing is that that blow up really lasts into the evening. We get by it. I think that's the, the remarkable thing. But um, really what I want to tell you is he's just a, he's, he's a, just a great, great guy, Charlie. And uh, although don't tell him I said that. <laughs> um, um, uh, he's just the greatest guy. And I'm so fortunate to have a, to be able to work with your best pal and for it to have worked out. Is there something that we can, um, I know that he, he had a, a, a book come out about the band and, and you described it a bit more, like more, more like a self-help book than an, a, a band autobiography um, uh, or a band biography. Um, is there something in that, that, that self-help nature that we can take from your and Charlie's relationships that we can use to make our own uh, as enduring and um, enjoyable as, as yours and Charlie's? Um, I mean, probably, you know, I mean, I, I, certainly we're, we will work on it. Um, give each other a lot of space. That's a good thing. I mean, it seems unlikely when you're in a band and you, you, you uh, live close to each other and all that stuff. But um, uh, I haven't quite, if I had to, you know, boil it down to two or three things, I don't really have them at the forefront in my mind, Mario. But, you know. There probably is. I mean, it, the real thing is we're, we're very fortunate is this, and I'll put it in layman's terms. We're just into it. We're into the music. And we've always been into the music. And I realised that you mentioned there, we've worked with great people and still do. But this game isn't for everyone. It is for me and Charlie. And um, how lucky we are. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Jim, we were talking about the fact that, that you now live in Italy. I think you made it permanent um, once after COVID broke out. And, and now your fellow Simple Minds band member, Charlie Birchall, lives there as well. But I think also Brexit was part of, of your reason for moving to Italy. Why is it something that, that, that you felt so strongly about? Well, actually, Mariela, my, it, it is weird, even when you're young, the power of imagination. But my first um, introduction to Italy was at the age of 13, when... Um, when uh, I went on a school trip to Rimini, of all places, and I was alluding to this earlier, <laughs> two things blew my mind the day I arrived. Um, I discovered the world was in colour. That was that was a, a big deal. Um, 
coming from Glasgow in the, the uh, early 70s when, you know, the industrialized, all that stuff was kicking in. It was, you know, it, it was a monochrome existence, as I said. So anyway, I go to Italy and the week before I'd been at uh, one of the first ever rock gigs and it happens to be David Bowie, which uh, goes without saying, blew my mind. And the first day in Italy, world's in color, across the road from the, the hotel or the, the, the youth hostel, whatever it was, there was a small record shop and I go in. And I don't know if you know that or your viewers know this, but um, David Bowie once recorded a version of Space Oddity in Italian. And <laughs> I, I went, it's called, it's called Ragazzo Solo. They didn't even literally translate it. You can find it online. And I went in and I thought, I didn't go in and think, oh, I want to be in a band like David Bowie. I thought, I want to speak Italian. Never mind, I want to speak Italian like Robert De Niro. That was later. David Bowie speaks Italian, Jesus. And I just thought, this the next couple of weeks as well, I thought, when I'm an old geezer, <laughs> I'm going to come and live here. And I remember that thought being, being in my head, I'm going to come and live, live here. And, um, of course, through the years, we played in Italy at, tremendous success and started going on holiday and both Charlie and I we really got into Italy and got the language and all that so it was always the plan to go but I should say that it would have made it much in terms of the bureaucracy some of your listeners will, will know this it would have been a much more difficult thing to organize post-Brexit so couple of months before, the, you know, um, the clock struck midnight and whatever that was, we, um, in my case, I just, I thought, if you don't do it now, when, when, when do you do it? So it was as much that, but, um, but if you're going to go into the whole thing about Brexit and the pros and cons and, well, you know what people in our industry, the music industry, particularly think of that, <laughs> it's not made it any easier, that's for sure. Has it made touring particularly a, a challenge or have those things started to iron out? Because I know there was a lot of talk about it in the in the early days um, after we left. Yeah. I wonder if it's still, you know. It's still, I mean, according to our, our um, production guys and all that, they're still tearing their, their hair out. I have no hair to tear out. <laughs> um, how's your Italian then? I mean, I wonder if the Glaswegian accent was a bit of a challenge to overcome when picking up the Italian accent. Well, I'll tell you a funny thing. It sort of reverses <laughs> this. When I was, last time I was in Australia, um, <clears throat> I was just saying, I went to have a little trim and it was a Sicilian barber, uh, Australian Sicilian. We, we started talking about Sicily and I said, well, you know, I live in Sicily and all that. And he said, oh, my dad's from Sicily. And so he brought his, his old pop out from the back shop. And I started speaking to him in Italian. And basically he said to me, where the hell did you get that accent from, that <laughs> Sicilian accent? I didn't know I had a Sicilian accent. But of course, you know, if you learn English in Aberdeen or Inverness or something, you're going to speak it with that kind of accent. I think I also used a few profanities that maybe um, um, gave away the geography. Um, but um, uh, yeah, when we're there, I mean, I'm sure people roll around laughing. But when we're when we're there, we we engage in Italian and uh, and also when Charlie and I are on tour with the rest of the band and we want to talk about the rest of the band that we don't want them to know, um, we speak Italian.
I imagine that that delving deeply into a song that you wrote as a very young man must have a degree of nostalgia attached to it. Yeah, you know, I think um, you won't be at that age yet, of course, Mariella, but um, everything's nostalgia now. Having said that, I will everything's nostalgia, but you still want to keep adding a chapter to the story. I mean, you still want to keep learning things in life. You still want to experience stuff, but nevertheless, get to a certain age and your reference points. I mean, if I walk around London today, I mean, it's going to be... There's hardly a place I can go to where I can't think about, oh, well, the band stayed there or the band worked there or whatever. So that's all. But I think nostalgia gets a bad rap. Not that you were giving it a bad rap, but but often I think it gets a bad rap. Uh, um, um, I think it's a perfectly valid. And I I like the old memories, but if you can... Um, if you can, um, I certainly have great, great memories, as you mentioned earlier, when we were in Rockville together as kids and... And look at you now. <laughs> well, I could say the same. Likewise. Likewise, Jim Kerr. In fact, going back to Rockfield, you mentioned David Bowie. So I'm presuming that you'd seen him um, on this school trip play. Uh, but then you actually met him. We met him together for the very first time, yeah, I think. Yeah, you were there. That's, that's yeah. right, Mariela. We, we did. And... and um... And what a story that shall 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 we tell? Shall I? I yes, I think I think we, we, we'll have hopefully whetted listeners' appetites to hearing All the right. full details of your first encounter with David Bowie and Iggy Pop. Well, I'd be interested in your take. You know, sometimes there's, there's the truth, then there's your truth, and then there's their truth. But <laughs> we all, to those who don't know, Rockfield Studio is a very famous studio and um, legendary studio, but it's in the Welsh countryside near near Monmouth. And um, all manner of bands from Led Zeppelin right through to Oasis and Coldplay and all that. But for two or three years, Simple Minds were there a lot. And I remember one, we were always keen when you turned up, there was two studios. There was a big studio and a small studio. The legendary bands would be in the big, big studio. So, you know, we were still young and... It was all new to us, and we were dead keen to find out oh, who'll be in the, the big room. And we couldn't believe, of all things, because it seems so unlikely that Iggy Pop, you know, you think of Iggy Pop, you think of Detroit, you you think of punk, you think that Iggy Pop, of all things, would be in the Welsh countryside. It just didn't seem right. But Iggy was there, and we never thought, um, um, we, we didn't think we'd even see Iggy. You know, we didn't think he would bother to come over to our place. Why would, why would he... <laughs> Why would he come over to our little studio to meet some unknown band from Glasgow? Um, I think Mariella Frostup might have had something to do with that, but <laughs> I, I, I don't know. There must have been some, there must be some attraction. Anyway, Iggy was great, and he came over and he was there. You'll remember Mariella. He would he would pop in end of the night, and 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 then I remember him saying something just, and we were all trying to be cool, not pick him up in it but he said something like yeah man boys coming up on Saturday or something and we were like wow and lo and behold um the chauffeur driven car arrived on the Saturday and there was David Bowie and Iggy Pop in um the middle of the Welsh countryside <laughs> um we just got on with it because you know we were just blown away but we were doing our thing and I think it was late at night. Well, it was late at night. The door opened and there they were in our room. Um, God knows what they were looking for. 
but they were there, they were working on a song and they wanted everyone to join in around the mic. And, and I think you probably did as well, Mariella. I think I probably excused myself seeing as I am literally tone deaf. Uh, but I'm sure Never you guys... Me, but... <laughs> I'm sure you guys more than made up for it. Um, nowadays, does it still feel as... Ex- you're about to embark on this... Huge tour. Um, and, and you know, obviously you play huge venues nowadays. Uh, you've got incredibly loyal fans. I think famously uh, loyal fans. Does it still feel exciting uh, when you step onto the stage? Is it still a moment of kind of epiphany? Um, it's still... In some ways it's turned on our head because in the early days, the table there, it was, it was you trying to convince the world that you had something to offer. And here we are 40, whatever, four years later. When we go on stage now, we're still trying to convince everyone in the room that it's been worth their effort. But we're saying something that's of crucial importance to us now, me and Charlie. We're saying, this is what we have done with our lives. And when that's at stake, it's not even, it's not even acceptable to have a so-so gig. You have to give 100% every night. And I think we do... And because we do, this thing just seems to roll on and roll on. That's that's my take, apart from having a lot of good luck as well. You've described uh, Simple Minds when they first started and, you know, in those first few years. And I think, interesting, we were talking about David Bowie and Iggy Pop, who were very sort of obsessed in a way with, with Berlin and, 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 and the atmosphere of that city and, and, and the pervading atmosphere of the Cold War. You described the band as a, as a Cold War band, uh, in, in a way. How does it make you feel to to look at what's happening uh, in Ukraine now? I mean, you know, forty four years after after you first probably started thinking about that part of the world. I mean, you know, it's cliche, but it's heartbreaking. But but I mean, I I never when we first started to tour back then. It was right. It was cold. It was still the Berlin was still great polarity in the world and, and traveling around Europe then was such an education you know you would you would turn up in places that you just you knew from the war stories and and it just seemed like it seemed like the you know the autobahns and the roads were I don't know it's a horrible image it just seemed to covering over in the bones of history uh, literally and and to see this thing again I mean uh uh, people who work for me in, in Italy, they're Ukrainians and their family, and 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 um, we also have great friends in Moscow. I mean, Moscow is a place that. Um, well, I know you've been a bookworm, Mariela. You were asking about the, the favorite uh, music earlier. Their favorite musical. Both Charlie and I, <clears throat> surprise, surprise, share the same author, the same favorite author, Bulgakov. And we were there fairly recently. We, we even went to the house where he wrote Master and uh, Margarita. And, and we've got friends. And basically what I'm saying is we, we all thought that was over. You know, we just, we just all thought that was over. So um, every day, first thing I get up in the morning, you know, I say, I'm not going to look because I can't take it. But I do look. You have a cup of coffee, you sit, you look. And you have to convince yourself that it's happening. I, I, I have to convince myself it's happening. That's how unbelievable. Um, so it's, it's heartbreaking. Thanks. 
Thanks for listening to Mariella Meets with me, Mariella Frostrup. There'll be more from the podcast next week, so make sure to download the free Times Radio app to never miss an episode. And don't forget, you can catch the live edition of my programme every Monday to Thursday, 1 till 4 on Times Radio. Catch you next time. Hey.